You're listening to Dots, Lines, and Destinations, a travel podcast with host Stephen Seagraves, Fosma Moon, and Seth Miller. Hello, and welcome to episode 391 of Dots, Lines, and Destinations. I'm Stephen Seagraves, joined by Fosma Moon and Seth Miller. Gentlemen. Good day. Good day. Good morning. We're good afternoon, this. good evening, and good night. Yeah. I mean, it, it is almost afternoon for you guys, but it's morning for me. Can you tell? Yes. Got the little bit of raspiness in your voice. Yeah, yeah. It's I haven't had that full cup of coffee yet. Yeah, it's uh, it's definitely there. It's okay though. I'm happy to be here. <laughs> okay then. It's, I think it's partially like allergies. Like my eyes lately have been just watering nonstop and like really itchy. And I think it's because we just haven't had our 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 you know once a week rain to keep down the pollen. So mm. I'm suffering. So, but anyway, um. Uh, there is a new seat on Air New Zealand, and I don't know how I feel about it because there's actually two new things to talk about with them. Three, three. Is there a third? Well, there's two seats, two business yeah. and one, two business seats. The four. There's a premium economy cabin, which is new for them. There's four different economy options. It's quite a lot going on, all in one little seven eighty seven. Yeah, I mean, this is on the seven eighty seven dash nines, right? Yeah, so it'll be that's. All they have right now, and there was we're sort of maybe going to get a uh, some dash tens, uh, but yep. then maybe not. The order is the order was for sort of like name dash tens, but the first deliveries are nines, and they can convert either way because it's you know how Boeing and Airbus do things. But yeah, um, yeah. So there's the new business premier and business premier Lux Lux. I don't know um, <laughs> seats. So they're doing a front row bulkhead seat is extra leg room um sort of and actually has a option for a companion to sit with you right so like the ottoman has a seat built in it so someone else can sit there with you for mm-hmm. dinner um it's the front row has a full door so you get some privacy the other rows like it's a herringbone design so you're facing into the aisle instead of facing out towards the windows um, and there's like the little side table and they have a like mini door that just closes off the side table, but not the actual access to the seat, which I'm not sure about. I think it seems more gimmicky than not to me. Um, it's, you know, it's a nice enough seat. I don't, I don't think it's, uh, groundbreaking in any way. Uh, I am, it's in- interesting that they have this sort of dual product where they're going to sell the bulk. It seems like they're going to sell the bulkhead row separately. So is it, it's not the same like it's a different seat for the current angled seat, right? Like this is more like a Delta. This looks kind of like Qatar or Delta, right? Well, Qatar is not herringbone, does it? I guess in the 70 cents it is. Yeah. That's what I was thinking. So it's more of like a, it, I mean, it's the saffron, it's a saffron seat. I mean, it's you know, yeah. off the shelf, but then customized. Um, and so the only reason you get a, pa- a person up in the front with you is because they can have lunch because there's a larger footwell. Right, because like all, or almost all of these sort of herringbone styles, there's the footwell that tapers, yep. and in the bulkhead it doesn't. Yeah, um, I think it was like the bulkhead looks nice if you want to, if the door matters to you. I guess that's a cool thing. Um, I actually think the the fact that they're adding premium economy is obviously a big deal for the ultra long haul flights, and then the economy cabin I think is probably a bigger deal o- overall. Yeah, the way they're so, sort of setting it up. I mean, it's they've got regular economy seats. They've got uh, economy stretch, which is just extra legroom product. They've got sky couch, which they're keeping, which is that like you know the legrest flips up and makes sort of maybe a beddish thing. Um, 
which I still don't understand how anyone who's taller than about five feet can use. Um, and then there's Sky Nest, which was teased in 2019, maybe. Um, bunk beds in the sky. Yeah. It's a set of six bunk beds, um, three and three uh, going up. And they, they're actually they're putting them at the front of the economy class cabin. So sort of by the doors behind the wing. Mm-hmm. Um, in the middle section there. So they'll take out two or three rows of seats and probably some galley space to make it work. I am really interested in how this is going to play out. I, I I don't see this playing out very well. I, I don't know. And and the rule is you can like use the seat for a certain amount of time. Yeah, you buy it for a few hours. Is this much segmentation manageable? Yeah. In the long run. Right, at a time when airlines try to simplify operations, Air New Zealand seems to be complicating them. So if you want to say economy and economy stretch are two different things, like, right, that's economy and economy plus or Delta's coach and comfort plus, but not premium select or premium. I don't know. The names are all stupid, not premium economy. Um, so I think having extra legroom seats is reasonable enough. Sky couch. I've always been a little skeptical of some people seem to love it. So fine. Um, I think the, it will be really interesting to me to see how they manage the sky nest product and like do you get to pick which block of time you're using it how much are they going to charge for it how are they like does everybody rotate out at the same time and there's like a bit of chaos as six people try to get out and then six more people are like tapping their foot waiting to get in while the flight attendants are cleaning it um does it interfere with the flight attendant doing the regular meal service all of those things i'm 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 sure they thought about a lot of this stuff and it's probably not as bad as i think it's going to be but um as, as a passenger the idea of having access to a bed is great I'm not sure how much they're going to charge for it. And at what point, like, should I have just bought the premium economy seat instead? Mm. Right. And just been, you know, vaguely comfortable um, with a little fun there. Is there premium economy, like kind of like domestic first class? Like, it's a two, three, two, three, two on a seven eighty seven. So yeah. yes. Yeah. yeah it, won't, it won't be, it won't be flat. That's definitely, yeah. happening, but you'll have the space. I, I, like for me, like this, this skyness thing, I, I, I don't know. Like it doesn't make a ton of sense depending on, I, I mean, I guess if the price is low enough to like take a three hour, four hour nap was fine. Well, but also think about like, this is targeting their New Zealand to us flights, which are 14 ish hours. True. Right. Like that's, that is having done it not from New Zealand, but actually I did New Zealand premium economy. Having done it, that is a long time to spend in a sitting chair. upright in a chair. And if you really want to sleep or, you know, someone said like, what happens when you get on board and find out that you're, seatmate is larger or smelly or whatever. And you're like, you need to get away. Would, could you buy it on board to like escape for a few hours? How much would you be willing to pay then versus in advance where you'd assume that, you know, people would pay a little less versus the yeah. sort of panic buy on board. Yeah. Or, or do you find out on board that like, Hey, we've got two bunks for four hours coming up and no one's bought them yet. And there's a fire sale and like, you know, put, I don't know. Do you put it on the IFE system of like flash on the screens for everybody in economy beds available? I don't mm-hmm. know. <laughs> There's like a mad tapping. Yeah. Um, <laughs> everybody gets pissed because you, now everybody who sort of was asleep had the back of their screen, the back of their seat whacked because someone's tapping on it. I mean, yeah, it's uh I mean, I guess I could see it because they're bringing back Newark, right? Like that's the plan is Newark yeah. and Chicago coming back. Um, is Did Houston never launched? Newark never launched. Yeah. Houston, oh. I think it's coming back too. Um, right. So it's, and like the, the layout of this plane is very low density. 
as it is. I think it's, um, I don't have the numbers here, but it's like 40 something business class seats. Another one, two, three, four, five, six, seven times eight is 50, 50, uh, premium economy seats. Mm-hmm. And then only like a hundred something, maybe just over a hundred in economy. So it's, it's a pretty low density layout. Um, you know, high J if you will on the summit, which again, that's the, you know, catering to the people who are flying the ultra long haul and who are paying for it. But, you know, th- I think the good news is it's a module that snaps in. And if they decide it's not working, they can pull it out and put regular seats in. Yeah. Yeah. I, I mean, are they going to do anything like this on the triple sevens? Uh, I would say it's probably a TBD situation. Mm. Um, I don't think there's plans right now to retrofit them the same, but we'll see. Yeah. I don't know. I mean, I'm just looking at the prices out of out of Auckland round trip. It's like 1500 US. Well, I mean, remember so, the prices for anything right now are stupid. Yeah. So, but then I look at like their business class prices, and they are stupid. It's like 8,000 US. So, uh, I mean, I don't know. I guess it's 6,300. That's actually not terrible. Round trip 6,300 in business, New Zealand to LA. That's not awful. Uh, uh, given the amount of competition, that's fairly high. Yeah, that's true. There isn't that much competition. Well, right now, right now, United's not running their flight. Like not until let me let me go to when United's running there. So, yeah, and American is moving it to Dallas, right? Yeah. Are they yeah. moving Auckland? Yes. Okay. Yeah, Hawaiian is the cheap one. Uh, you can yeah, get Auckland, Auckland to Honolulu to LA for thirty nine hundred. <laughs> is it a decent connection, or is it the overnight Honolulu? It's uh. Three hours, okay. and only three days a week. Though, also, I think. Yeah, I mean, but it, the problem is, like, you leave Auckland at eleven fifty-five p.m. and you don't get into LA until eleven p.m. So, <laughs> same day. <laughs> it's like, yeah. Uh, let me let me go to when United's flying. Let me see here. Anyway, yeah, it's. I, I also like remember that anything we're seeing in pricing now is has the COVID effect and the rebound, travel rebound, and whatever. And like, none of the numbers make sense anymore. So, yeah, it drops down to about six k in September-ish when yeah. United starts up their flight. So, I'm sure it'll again, be more expensive at Christmas. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, so, it's, I mean, it's interesting. It's, uh, it is a long flight, though. I'm just thinking, yeah. like, if it's 12 hours to Auckland or to L.A. from Auckland, it's probably 14 to Houston and then maybe 15 or 16 to New York. Yeah. Yeah, yeah it's, a, it's a long trip. And, and none of this is set to fly really until 2024, apparently. Oh, wow. Okay. Um, that's when the new deliveries are going to get it. Uh, there's also some retrofit going on, which I thought was going to come sooner, but you know, one of their filings said they were going to start retrofitting early this year, but I'm not sure when they'll actually take flight. So yeah. as, as I'm mapping this out, can we just take a, take a minute to say, thank God GC map came back. It was like down for a few days, almost a week. Huh. Uh, so anyway, um, someone's got to call Carl and get him to, <laughs> is everything okay carl you need some cash <laughs> all right um all right so deutsche bond is confirmed as a star alliance partner well sort of kind of it's definitely happening we've known this is happening for a few weeks now we talked about it back when um the star alliance had like a media briefing and said they were going to add a train partner or an intermodal partner in europe and it was obviously going to be deutsche bond um and it will allow i guess through bookings from any airport that Deutsche Bahn serves as part of a single ticket. Hmm. Um, much less clear are any details on benefit, like loyalty benefits or literally anything else. Also, everybody's talking about they have a pictures of a train in Starline's livery now. 
nice <laughs> e-train um it's pretty cool uh like but i literally haven't seen an actual press release certainly not from star alliance and so i can't figure out what the hell's going on in the messaging side there <laughs> um so yeah but it's apparently going to take effect next month well We'll see. I mean, they serve they serve a lot of destinations from Germany, so it's not just like you can only get to Germany. They serve Prague. I think they serve Budapest. Um, you can get a lot of places on the on the train. So if you can build in a like an over, you know, some kind of like layover in in Germany, take a few days there and then take a train. That'd be nice and have it all in the same ticket. It'd be nice. Yeah, their inner city and ICE, the inner city express, especially like does travel beyond Germany, um, which is a nice benefit. Um, yeah, but, for sure. Um, we'll see. I, I, obviously options to help with intermodal transit, I think are a good thing. A lot of it's going to come down to how does this actually get implemented and what is sort of like, you know, are you protected on a missed connection and things like that, I think will be way better than in the past where I've wanted to do it and like bought a ticket and hoped it would work. Yeah. I mean, I think that is a key, right? Like, Deutsche Bahn is pretty tough and stringent when it comes to if you buy a certain type of ticket. Um, yeah, the, the affordable tickets are restricted. Same train, like this train only. Yep. No refunds, high change yeah. fees, etc. It's yeah. And if that if that gets built in, that that kind of stinks because there's no guarantee that you're going to be able to catch that train if your flight's slightly delayed and yada yada yada. So yeah. And who's going to handle that? Is going to be like a Lufthansa rep in Frankfurt doing that or a Deutsche Bahn, you know, I, I can just imagine the chaos. That could well, they'll just, you know, call their colleague at the other counter and figure Meine it out. Yeah. Um, it's not possible. It's not possible. <laughs> we uh, put you on next flight home. Yes. <laughs> Wait, what? <laughs> but I was trying to go to Prague. Yes. Yes. Here's your ticket to Houston. Good luck. Soon. Soon. <laughs> um, so uh, Delta supposedly, and I'll say I'll say why I think supposedly. Uh, I mean, I don't think it's fake. Uh, well, anyway, let's talk about the story. They supposedly gave a ten thousand VDB offer um, out of I think it was Grand Rapids. Uh, two Grand Rapids, one of the other. Or two yeah. Grand Rapids. I think it might have been out of Grand Rapids, uh, connecting to Detroit. Um, and they, uh, you know, also it's been a chaotic weekend. So they offered a change fee waiver because it's just they they can't keep up. Um, so let's talk about that first. Yeah. Right. That's unprecedented for someone to come out three days before a long weekend with no weather forecast to say we're going to issue a weekend a waiver for the entire weekend because we know we won't be able to meet our operation. Yeah. I, I thought it was wild that they were like, we're not going to charge you change fees or changes in fare to change flights. Right. But the, the counterpoint to that was that it was only through good through July 7th. So it's not like they, you could push it out a week. True. True. But still, no change in fare when you're in like last minute ticketing. That's that's nice uh, of Delta. I mean, you know, <laughs> even though they're saying well, it's a shit show. That's because you wouldn't be able to find seats otherwise. Yeah, true. They kind of had to do that, right? The only seats that are out there are the, the higher buckets, most likely at this point in the game. Yeah. But like, it's basically admitting a few days before going into the weekend that, yeah, we're going to screw up this weekend. So how do you effect it? Like this is the like it's a great in concept, but how do you effectively choose a flight that you know will go? Oh yeah, yeah. And I I think they were just trying to get people to can't potentially cancel to open up seats for well, if things went badly. I think it was a little bit of that, and just truly like to lower, like you said, it's not just to cancel in general, but just to lower uh, demand, right? Lower yeah. load factors if they could. Yeah, getting the story it, out there that things could be bad, people yeah, may not if, look. And if you know. You know you're going to have to cancel some flights. You can 
and you know you try to do that if you get enough people to sort of move things around maybe you can proactively cancel a couple that become more lightly loaded or at least you have empty seats to move people onto when something does cancel right like that's the in my mind that sort of the bigger problem of the cancels right now is it's not that a flight got canceled it's that a flight got canceled we can't rebook you for four days yep rather than we can push you on a, you know maybe in the old days right like okay if like i canceled and we've got a couple more going today we can get everybody out it's not great, but like some people have a two hour delay. Some people have a six hour delay and now it's like two days and that's not great. Yeah. I, um, I also think it's interesting that Bastion Bastion said, you know, most of this is the FAA's fault. Um, when the data clearly says that's not necessarily the case. This is what I don't, it's all the airlines are doing that now, right? They're all saying it's like United's dropping what 13% of their schedule at Newark blaming the FAA. We're still not, I don't think we're still at 100% pre-pandemic levels. Nothing's really changed in that regards. I mean, I, I think some of it is FAA related, right? When they have like understaffing because someone gets COVID in a tower and they can't replace them, they're limited. But I think that is a, lot, a, a far less effect than just you don't have enough pilots to fly the planes. So, or crew, just crew in general. Or ground staff have, to dispatch yeah, them and exactly. push, push back. It's like, you know, the airlines are understaffed for the levels of flights that they're trying to operate. I mean, I, I mean, Stephen, you said the data doesn't support it. I pulled data for April, and it clearly shows that, you know, the number of airline cause delays is significantly higher than it was a year ago or three years ago. Mm-hmm. And Weather and ATC are in the ballpark. Maybe Ed had May data or June data because he actually works at the airline and doesn't have to wait till it gets filed with the DOT and then published. And so maybe the data is a little different, but the numbers are, or, or someone's lying in their filing to, to the DOT. Well, I mean, I, but I think that's the thing like, is I, I think he's trying to say, I, I, it's, we're in this age of, let's just say it. And if it sticks, it sticks. Right. So I feel like that's what this was, was we're going to say it's the FAA's fault because it's easy to blame them. We don't have to take the blame. No one's going to look at the numbers and yeah. that's going to be that. And the FAA, what's the FAA going to do? Come out and defend themselves. Like, to oh, an extent, they have. Yeah, but I mean, like that's all they can do. Like, what? What else are they gonna? I don't know. Yeah, it's a little bit Joe Pesci. Everything that guy said is bullshit. Yeah, exactly. Um, <laughs> it's, 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 you mean it's, letting go of, of a large portion of your staff and not backfilling it, and then having short staffing two years later isn't predicted. <laughs> and they did backfill them, but there's a juniority, and the people don't aren't, aren't as good at the jobs. And listen, it's. It's a problem. Um, it's everybody's problem. I don't want to let anybody off the hook. I am disappointed in the way the airlines have latched onto this, like the FAA. We can just keep blaming the FAA and get away with it, it would seem. Yeah. Um, also, though, when uh, the Secretary of Transportation gets out there and is like, my segment, my flight was canceled and they tried to offer me points and I insisted on a refund instead. Um, and apparently only got refunded for one of the segments of the flight. And it's not clear if he actually finished the trip. Or how he finished the trip. There's some questionable bits in there too. <laughs> yeah, it's like, uh, did you ask for a refund of the whole thing? Um, yeah. Anyway, uh, so back to this ten thousand VDB offer. Sure. Um, so I, I, the reason that I one it strikes me as odd, right? There's a couple things mentioned in the articles and then the tweets about this. One, they said that the flight attendants made the offer. That no. And two. That they were going to give, they said they offered Apple Pay. If you had Apple Pay, they could give you the 10K right now, which that's not how things work. So let's be very clear that the way that tip, these VDBs typically work is they print you a voucher or a check if it's promised in cash at the, the kiosk, like at the, the gate 
So I will say that Delta does um, also will give you like a choice of different types of uh, gift certificates, like uh, gift cards. Yeah, but it's not um, Apple Pay. <laughs> probably not, but they might have added that. Honestly, like how how do they do that? The same way they, if, I would imagine it come through the app through their flight attendant or gate agent app. Probably it's probably just a credit to whatever your Apple Pay card is. Yeah. A credit. <laughs> No, this doesn't make any sense. It's no different than it, it depends on their desperation, right? It's no different than issuing a check. If they're desperate, they'll start paying cash instead of a voucher. No, no, I, I'm totally with you on couch uh, on cash. But the idea of like giving you credit on your credit card that you have linked to Apple Pay—that's not. I mean, that's I. That's. I mean, I know Delta's ahead the ahead of the game when it comes to technology, but especially in Grand Rapids, like I don't think that's how it works. <laughs> and as far as the flight attendant announcing, it could just be that the gate agent came on and announced it on the plane. Yeah. Yeah, that's be. what I would assume. It's just everything it, – it's weird. I don't doubt that they offered $10,000, although aren't they soft cap at like 1500 for – like airlines are soft capped. Like they they don't have to offer anything more than 1500 for an IDB? For an IDB, they don't have to. It's it was 1350 It goes up every year now, but it's in that ballpark. Um, yep. Depending on how long it'll take, but the airlines and have tried very hard to not IDB people. And if they're on the plane, they're asking, they're looking for a VDB at that point, not an IDB. Yeah. Uh, but you know, the other bigger uh, flaw in the whole of uh, the Apple Pay, right? If they're cutting you a check for ten thousand dollars, they also have to report that as income. Yeah, and that's what I'm thinking is like after you know, after you do that, now I got I got ten thousand dollars on my credit card. <laughs> Can I have the paperwork? <laughs> So, yeah, and the last time I did it, I got it wasn't that much, but it came as uh, Amex gift cards. Uh, and did they give you any kind of paperwork with it or just the gift cards themselves? Just the gift cards. Yeah. My, I was below 1200, so it wasn't reporting level, but yeah, um, I think that's the limit. Um, I'm not sure how they do it for larger numbers if they uh, just if they uh, file a 1099 on that or not. I don't think they have to. So, so here's a question when it comes to, like when it comes to that, like with the 1099, let's say you buy a $10,000 business class ticket and they give mm-hmm. you $10,000 plus for a VDB. Do you have to report that? No VDB because it's not actual cash. Oh, I got you. Okay. So like you, because you took the voucher, it yep. doesn't matter, but if you take cash, you do. Oh, no, I, think, I think that's part of why they do gift cards. Those are yeah. not cash. Yeah. yeah. Anyway. Interesting. I would love to hear from people who've had this type of offer. And if, if you're the person that was at the gate and you took this offer, I would, I would love to know. I mean, I honestly, I would have given up. I would have driven from Grand Rapids to Detroit. If they offered me 10 games. The other thing was apparently they needed eight seats. Yeah. So that's 80 K. <laughs> uh, I would have, I would have. Yes. But, gladly. But, but in this day's airline economy, that's what two round trips across the country. Hey, oh. <laughs> or, or if you're driving, it's, you know, it's uh, across town. But I'm actually not kidding. Like, if you go pull up three, four weeks out, look, pull up JFK LA, like on AA, everything is $2,000 one way in coach. I, I, yeah. I mean, my ticket to Las Vegas was uh, right under $1,000 booked to Vegas, to Vegas from Portland. Like, I basically was paying 400 bucks an hour to go there. So, uh, it's, it's good work if you can get it. <laughs> Desperately trying not to fly anymore this year. Uh, it's it's insane. Um, 
let's talk about European. You're just going to go to Europe and you can't fly anymore. But you can't. Yeah. So uh, AA is capping Amsterdam departures. Uh, uh, this was a, the AA one was weird. I want to go through a couple of these and there's more okay. than just what's on the list here. But like apparently all the airlines were asked to reduce sales out of Amsterdam and like Transavia, which is the Air France KLM low cost carrier cut some of its flights and consolidated. They're all trying to reduce passenger count. Americans approach to it is for the last three weeks of July, as of like June 30th or whatever, all the flights are just where they're at. However many seats were sold, that's how many we're selling. We're just not going to sell any more seats. And I can't see, they do two a day, which isn't very many. I can't see how this really moves the needle in terms of how many seats they were going to sell, like walk up fares. But there you go. Hmm. It's a weird approach. Yeah. Um, they also, though, a part of that was it, like they had to put out a memo telling non revs that they couldn't get on, even though they're seeing like loads lower than, you know, it looks, the flights look empty. They're not going to take non revs standby there because of the rule. So that was part of it. But, and the reason is uh, security lines there are insane uh, and you can't get like, it takes hours to get in the building. Just like Dublin has from time to time. It's, you know, there's a couple airports that are worse off than others. Yeah. I mean, Dublin was going to bring in the army. So this, I mean, this all comes back to, this all comes back to staffing again, right? Mm-hmm. Like it's not necessarily the airlines in Amsterdam, but the, the security checkpoint yeah. um, in immigration. In immigration. Right? Yeah. yeah. So, um, and then Lufthansa is offering full fare within Europe, oh, on, full fare only within Europe and the, the U.S. Yeah. Um, yes. Buy, like full Y or full J basically. Yeah. Super so, expensive. So they're still selling some, but they're making it onerous. You, you have to really want it. Um, I wonder if this applies to tickets issued by United. I don't think it does by United because they control the fares on this side of the Atlantic, and I haven't seen anything crazy yet. So yeah, you can I, get through pretty quickly. You just can't get back in to the airport easily. <laughs> uh, what were you going to say, Seth? I'm just saying they do. You know, yes, United does publish the fares departing the U.S., and I think Lufthansa publishes all the fares for the group departing Europe, right? Yep. Correct. Yeah, they do. So it, it I, I think the rule is based on ticket origination. So if you tried to buy a ticket out of Europe last minute, it's you're going to face this problem. Yeah. So. Uh, and then London Heathrow had a fuel farm issue on Saturday, and uh, that's kind of screwed things up even more. Yeah, they weren't pumping fuel um, very well. And you need that to fly planes. Right? You do, it turns out. <laughs> um, have they recovered yet, or is it still a mess? It seems to have recovered. Um and it was, they took him a couple hours. Part of the problem was like poor communications. And it was, it was, uh, at T5, it was BA was affected mm. and not all the airlines were, but also for what it's worth, I'm just, I'm looking now, I'm actually seeing decent fares. It's not, full, it's definitely not full Y on round. I think it's most, here. I think it's the intra Europe stuff. That's yeah. I mean, there was something about us flights too. That was weird, but yep. anyway. um, yeah, like Frankfurt to Munich round trip, 750 bucks, not normal. <laughs> so it'd be cheaper to connect in the U.S. to go into Europe now? Almost. <laughs> uh, almost. But yeah, it's... Uh, anyway. Um, now, the fuel farm thing, just like, listen, it's even when things are going well, shit happens, right? Like yep. systems break, and then the, the knock-on effect can put people out of sort, you know, planes out of position, people out of position for a day or two, and again, the recovery is harder. So, yeah. yeah. I mean, I'm still debating if I'm going to go to the uh, Farm Borough Air Show, which is in London in two weeks. Uh, it's what it's like the 18th to the 21st or something like that. I thought you just said you weren't going to fly anymore this year. I re- I'm really not planning to, but unless someone can convince me, there's a good reason to go. But I mean, planes. That's, that's a good yeah. reason. I've seen a lot of those <laughs> lately. Um, Cathay is bringing back their JFK Vancouver flight. This is a super weird one that I don't understand at all. 
Um, <laughs> they filed a DOT request to be able to do it. It's a separate flight number, and it's it's they're not taking. They say they're going to fly it on an A three fifty, but the filing also mentions connecting to a seven forty seven, which doesn't uh-huh. make any sense because they don't fly passenger seven forty sevens, and they don't. And it says they're going to not take passengers. It's passenger service, but they're not going to sell JFK Vancouver local traffic. Self loading cargo. Like, but and it's only a thirty-five minute connection in Vancouver. So how do you have a plane connect onward and change crew in thirty-five minutes? It, and connect gonna, and connect via Canada, like go through immigration. Yeah. They're going to put passengers in cargo containers and just. Yeah, you don't. Have, the good news is you don't have to clear immigration in Canada. They had a. They were allowed to like put them in a separate transit holding pen and then get back on the plane. But other than that, it the whole thing is a little weird. So obviously, more details to come. But that's supposed to start August first. I'll be interested to see if it actually happens. Yeah, I'm going to see if it's uh, Being if sold. there's a uh, filed whatever, if when it gets filed. But, yeah, Foz, did you ever take that flight? No, sadly. Yeah, me either. Maybe I tried. Just, I, I kept trying, and it just never worked out. Maybe they'll just put people in cargo containers and move the containers from one plane to the other. <laughs> I don't think you can do that in 30 minutes. Yeah, well, maybe. More likely than people moving themselves. Yes. Um, I tried to do it, Foz, and it was like, every time I tried to do it, I just was thinking, they're going to like say I'm doing cabotage, because I was trying to get back into the United States. So like, if I went to Canada from here, and then flew to JFK, they'd be like, why are you con- connecting through Canada to get to get, to get to JFK? Oh, no. If you, if you just you just go through customs. You have to buy the separate tickets, and then you Yeah, go. you have to buy the separate tickets, and you just go through customs, no one's really going to ask. Yeah. I spent guess. a day in Vancouver. It's nice there. Well, I was just thinking because it was like pretty well timed to get like a full night's rest going to New York, right. um, and Vancouver was a fifty-minute flight for me. So, but I never did it. So, um, China's big three pick Airbus for their single aisle refresh. Three hundred planes, two hundred ninety-two plus some leases. That's that's a lot of planes. Yeah, it is, but it's not enough. I mean, mm. there's, there's, it's not everything, right? Uh, these are what's most interesting to me is these are deliveries through 2027, which is pretty quick timeline wise, yeah. where Airbus theoretically was sold out. So obviously, Airbus has uh, was holding back some slots in hopes of scoring this deal. Um, it's like between 90 and 100 to each of the big three. Uh, I think Air China is splitting its order with some going to Shenzhen Airlines, um, which is one of its subsidiaries, but. You know, 320 and 321 Neos, um, mm-hmm. they've got the Tianjin the final assembly line finishing center there, so they can d- use the local facility. Like, if they all come from Tianjin, this is keeps them, that keeps Tianjin at 100%, if not more, through 2027, mm-hmm. uh, just based on the throughput it normally has. So, yeah, I mean, it's big news for those airlines, but it's also, there's not as many... Uh, some of them are replacements, some of them are growth. And so if you look at like, it seems like this huge number, but it's sort of like the Delta order that we can also talk about, like, is it, or maybe Delta maybe order. Um, yeah. It seems like a huge, a number. And then you look at how big the fleet is and how old some of the planes are. And like, this is sort of just keeping up in some mm-hmm. ways. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Every time I look at Chinese airspace, I mean, there's a, there's a lot of planes uh, on Chinese carriers. Uh, and so, uh, this does seem like a small drop in the bucket for total number of, of planes that are flying on Chinese airlines. So, uh, so yeah, tell me about the Delta order or supposed order. So this is, we've been talking sort of for years. Um, seems like years. we've been talking for a long time about 
the Delta is potentially getting uh, some maxes. And it seems like maybe Farnborough, that order will get announced. Oh, sorry. I just going back to the Chinese order. Mm-hmm. The other thing that's crazy about it is they announced it on July 1st, if I remember correctly, which was the celebration of the uh, Hong Kong handover. Interesting. Um, so like good patriotic day or whatever, but also kind of big F you to Cathay Pacific. Yeah. Um, just thought I'd throw that out there. Uh, Delta. I mean, I'm not, we're not surprised, right? So, yeah, no, I mean, they're sort of like, it's a screw you Hong Kong and, and especially to Cathay, which is, has some state ownership, but not, it's also privately held. Um, it's kind of crazy. Um, the Delta order, they're now saying probably a hundred max tens coming in the next, you know, again, five ish years. And what do you think Delta's need for those is? They have a, a 321 Neos. And they've got like 100 321s in coming also. Um, the 321s will mostly replace 757s, I think. Mm-hmm. The Neos. Um, they've also got, but Delta's got a huge collection of 717s, 319s, and 320s that are all 20 plus years old. Yeah. I think the 320s are 26 years old, if I looked the other day, I mean, on they average. Still have, they still have 116 active 757s. And they have the 757 800s. Oh, you mean the 737 800s? Sorry, sorry, 737 800s. Yes, thank you. Yeah, uh, they've got 76 800s and 131 900s. And the 900s are new, but the 800s are old. Yeah. Relatively new. I mean, don't need to be replaced. So, like, every it's all upgaging. But if you look again, this goes back to my, oh my God, this seems like a huge order. But, um, and it is, it's significant, but like, it's, there's a lot of planes that Delta needs to replace in the next decade. And this is, Scratching the surface. Yeah. This isn't really Delta's MO, right? Delta's MO is to keep the old planes and just keep them in the air. Um, they have switched back and forth on that policy from time to time. They absolutely kept the DC-9s running forever. They still have the 717s running. Like There was a period where they did that, but when they can grab a reasonable price and benefit from the fuel efficiency transition, they'll absolutely do it. And so I think part of this is... I got to assume Boeing was willing to negotiate on the pricing to score a big order, preferably for the air show. And it's, you know, Delta to, was the only of the five largest U.S. carriers that did not have a max order on the books. So there's some motivation there. Yeah. They also okay. saw, saw a bunch of the old Northwest 319s and 320s. Right. Those have to go. Um, yeah. The question is, I think, you know, 320s were seating 157, and this will seat like 190, 195. So, like, that's sort of in the ballpark of a reasonable upgauge. The 19s are, like, seating 112 or 122. They're uh, a much smaller cabin. This would be too big there. I wonder if Delta is actively pushing Airbus to bring an A220-500 to the market. The stretch. Mm. It's the the factory was built to accommodate it. They Airbus has said several times, like we're just waiting for the right order, essentially, right customer to come along and say yes. Um, and if Delta could do that, right, that brings it to like a hundred and fifty seats in the Delta configuration. Um, yeah. What does the two twenty get right now? Like, how many people are on the Delta A two twenties? It's a good question. Uh, I want to say uh, less than that. <laughs> Yeah, I, I was just thinking, like, wouldn't it be like almost a one for one swap if they just put two twenties on those routes? Um, so or close. Yeah, yeah. The one hundred has twelve fifteen eighty two, so that's twenty seven one oh nine, and mm-hmm. the uh, three hundred has one thirty. 
So if they had the 300, it'd be close. Yeah, it's close to, it's actually, I mean, it's, yeah, the 300 is a little bit of an upgrade from the 319. I think they'd probably, like Delta, everything they've done has been a sort of 15% upgrade as mm-hmm. they make these transitions, right? Like, um, and so they'd want, I think they'd want a bigger plane than just the 300, the H2300 to get to replacing the 319s or the 717s. Gotcha. Um, but I mean, if they can't get it, maybe the 300 works. So yeah, I mean, if if, if Airbus is willing to negotiate, then they'll they'll get what they need, <laughs> yeah. and they're you know, they win. Yeah, um, and I mean, remember also like some other airlines run the 300 and 150 seats in Europe. Yeah. That's common. So 140 to 150 seats is not is completely reasonable. So um, not so bad. So so back to the Max 10. There was an article co- that came out on uh, ABC in Australia about. Um, the max uh, safety in, you know, issues again. And it brought up some uh, recent events in the United States where a United flight declared a mayday because of a, a disconnect between the trim and you know, the, the MCAS or not MCAS, uh, the sensors that have failed before. Pito tubes. AOA. Uh, the AOA. Yeah. Um, yep. And so there was a mayday called and yada, yada. So, the question is, is, is the, is the max as safe as Boeing is claiming? And are we kind of being sold? It was kind of a scare, scare story. Um, but well, I, I just wanted to get your thoughts on, on this. Is the number of incidents outside the scope of normal relative to any other airplane? No. So I, I did the, I did like some searching and looking at FAA numbers. It's like one in every hundred thousand flights. And this, this is, just a, 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 the same, this incident. So it's not outside of what we see on a day-to-day basis for other aircraft. Yeah. So, I, like, I don't understand why they would try to scare people. I mean, I guess it's clicks. It's I all do. Click. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Clickbait. Yeah. Um, but I think, I mean, we haven't seen any other major incidents um, since the, air, the, the Max has come back. I just... Anyway, um, tell me about BA thinking men are only doctors. Oh, this came up. Someone, uh, this was just on Twitter, a passenger submitted their, uh, like their passenger information on the booking form. And it was put their name doctor and their gender is female. And that webpage rejected it saying your gender and name don't, your gender and title don't match. (laughs) Oops. Uh, as one of our that. as one of our colleagues said, you got to go out of your way to make it work that badly. Yeah, <laughs> uh, yeah. Like, what kind of like validation is in the JavaScript? Well, it's it's a female and it's a doctor. I don't think so. Does not compute. <laughs> um, and then Seth, I want to know about your trip through the passage. Yeah, passage du Gois. That's correct. So this was going back to our, my trip to France a couple weeks ago. I just wanted to talk something fun and like not airlines related but some of the travel stuff that we do also mm-hmm. the reason we fly um so Lene and i did a we were on bikes for six days there i think um like three to four hours a day through the countryside from nantes to la rochelle um booked it through a tour company that like gave us maps and directions and most importantly carried our bags for us so we dropped our bags at the front desk every morning and every afternoon they would be at the hotel next hotel we were supposed to go to and they booked all the hotels for us. So it was, an, it was a nice setup um, and they rented us the bikes, but we were sort of on our own while riding. But one of the things that we got to do, it was on the, it wasn't actually on the itinerary they gave us. We adjusted the itinerary to do this is 
there's a road called the Passage de Gua. Um, and it's underwater 75% of the day. And so for an hour and a half, plus or minus each low tide, it's passable. And otherwise it's literally underwater. Like the tide comes in and it goes away. And then we got there. It made for a long day because we had to uh, time it with the tides and like low tide that day was 6 a.m. or 6 p.m. Mm. And we clearly weren't going to make the 6 a.m. So we did the 6 p.m. low tides. We crossed at like 430 and then had to, and it was only halfway through the trip. So we like, or through that day. So we had a big day, big afternoon. We got to the hotel pretty late, uh, relatively. But we uh, got there and like, there's, you know, a cafe and whatever. And like, but there's a bunch of people just parked waiting. And we walked out and you could go like maybe 100 yards when we got there. And over this like while we sat there, the tide went out and slowly but surely, like you could sort of see some pylons out along the water of where the road should be. And slowly but surely, like it just appeared. <laughs> it was the coolest thing. Um, and then we rode across it. I got yelled at for, you know, it's like there's a ton of traffic on it. Uh, it's also not quite cobblestones, but it was like two foot square tiles almost, but like chunks of rock. Um, like it was so pretty bumpy. Is what mm-hmm. I'm saying. Uh, not the most comfortable ride, but and in the midst of all that, the locals go out and go harvesting in the mudflats. So that that region is known for oysters and clams, or oysters and mussels and other shellfish. And the locals, especially, will go out and like they drive out and just pull off the road into the mud. Hmm. Um, and it's because onto a sandbar that's firm enough, I guess. Whatever they've done it before, they sort of know what they're doing. It's crazy to me. Um, and on one side of the road, the other side is much deeper, but on one side of the road, it's just mud flats for like hundred yards, maybe more. We saw tractors like driving out into the water to get the guy with like a uh, barge behind it with the guys with like giant bags of oysters to put in water to sort of keep nurturing them and growing <laughs> so, them. It was crazy. So this connects to an island, right? This connects is, to an island. Yeah. And there is another road to this island. Yes. It's uh, a giant like modern bridge. Yes. And to be clear, the, the people honking at you should go use that other bridge. If it's so important that they get to this island, <laughs> that's that's my yeah. Um, my my response to that was uh, I don't know how to say f off in French, so I just sort of waved and smiled and said merci and uh, used all five fingers, but didn't really want to, um, and let her go. But she was like, I was like, listen, I got a lane here too. You can deal. And yeah, yeah, it's yeah. Anyway, I mean, it looks fascinating. So it reminds me of like uh, what is that Saint Michel? Yeah, the what? lighthouse. Yeah, uh, the church or the church. Yeah, it's like a cathedral. You can't yeah. you can't get out to it uh, without low tides. So, yeah, kind of fascinating. That's cool. Yeah, up in Normandy. So, yeah, that's another one. And like, what's really neat about this is like the first reference to this road is from 1701. Hmm. Like they've been doing this for hundreds of years. Wow, hmm. that's um, cool. Yeah, Mont Saint Michel is a tidal island, also. And so, when the tide comes in, then the road disappears. I'm guessing. Is it a pretty is it a pretty quaint little island? I mean, I guess there's not. So we unfortunately didn't really spend any time on the island. It was late mm-hmm. enough in the day that we like had to go. Gotcha. Um, but the, with the main bridge, it's not so bad. Gotcha. Um, so there's definitely people there. There's some resort type stuff there. It seemed cute enough. I would have loved yeah. to actually spend some time, but we just didn't have uh, additional opportunity to do that. But yeah, no, it's it was it was a very cool chunk of the trip, um, and I just you know wanted to share that no that's that's awesome um for our patreon subscribers we're going to talk a little bit about uh pre-check 
and uh, a pilot scheduling in the bonus episode topics. Man, uh, if I screw that up. Yeah. And so uh, to our, our listeners, thanks for joining us this week. We appreciate it. Uh, happy 4th of July to our American friends. Happy, uh, happy kick a colony to the curb day for our uh, British friends. And uh, we'll talk to you in the next show. <laughs> Bye-bye. <laughs> what? <laughs>